Scripture reading for this morning's lesson will be from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 37 through 42. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Hope you have your Bibles open to the book of Acts. We'll be studying from Acts chapter 2 as we have announced this morning. We are so grateful for the presence of each and every one here. It is a beautiful day and we are thankful that you have chosen to spend that day to come together to worship with us, and we hope that you are strengthened and edified as a result of our time together this morning. We are going to be studying from Acts chapter 2 about the great salvation that we have as we have talked about, but I do want to make mention that if you are here visiting with us, we are certainly grateful for your presence and your attendance with us this morning. You are an encouragement to us. If there's anything that we have that we say or that we do that is of interest to you or that you have a question about, we'd love to sit down and and visit with you and talk to you about those things. We want to practice what the Bible teaches, and that is certainly what we strive to do. And so we always enjoy being able to open up the Bible and the Word of God and study from it. In Acts chapter 2, it's the first gospel sermon that we have recorded for us. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, And after he had ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the apostles, and they began to do some very miraculous things. They began speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 1, we read that it was the day of Pentecost, and when they were assembled together, it says in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And we find out that the speaking in tongues is not just some kind of other kind of language, or that it wasn't just some gibberish or something of that nature, but that it was actually different languages. In verse 6, we learn that when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And so the Holy Spirit gifted these apostles to begin speaking in various languages. These are just fishermen. These were just men who were uneducated. And they were beginning to speak in languages that they had not been trained in. This was a very drastic an amazing miracle. And the people who were there listening to the apostles, they heard these things. They were witnessing all of this. In Acts 2 and in verse 11, it says Cretans and Arabs, and previous there had been this list of all these other people from other places. 
They said, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. So the people are confused and they're amazed and they have this response of, of what is going on. They know something is happening, but they don't understand exactly what all this means. And Peter then begins to explain to them. And he quotes from the prophet Joel. And he tells them it's only the third hour of the day, about 9 a.m. He says it's too early for us to be drunk. And so he says, well, it's not like that, but this is that was spoken about in the Bible. That this is something that was spoken of by the prophet Joel many, many years before. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, and to 16 through 21, he says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And he talks about in this prophecy about the out the Holy Spirit and how that was going to manifest itself in miraculous abilities that they were going to be able to dream and have visions and, and prophesy, that the Spirit was going to fall upon these people. And, P and Peter is saying that this is what's going on. This is why we have ability. This is God's outpouring of His Spirit. And all of this was to signal and to usher in this new age, the age of salvation, he says in verse 21. It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's trying to get them to understand that the miracle itself was not what was supposed to be all that impressive. It was building up to something even greater. That it was to signify and to point to the fact that this is now the time that you are able to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And so that ends that prophecy. And the natural question that we would probably ask ourselves if we had been in that audience, it would be sort of a, a silent question, but who's this Lord that we're supposed to call on? Who is He? Because that's what Peter begins to address in verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He begins talking about Jesus of Nazareth and how he was put to death, how he was crucified, how he was raised from the dead, and how God had exalted him to the hand of God to sit on the throne of David, reign as king over the kingdom of God. And so Peter begins to tell this, this audience who the Lord really and truly is, that it's Jesus of Nazareth. And so this leads the people to be convicted. As in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? It's amazing that they were being here, they're listening to the gospel for the first time, really in its fullness. That they are being told about who Jesus is, that Jesus is your king, 
Jesus is the one that you crucified. He's the one who has been raised from the dead, but now God has exalted Him and He is sitting at the right hand of God. He is reigning as your King. And the people ask, what is required of us? What must we do? They were guilty of killing Him. But now, they need to know what to do. In other words, how do we call on the name of the Lord? Peter had already told them by through that prophecy of Joel in verse 21 that whoever, whoever or everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do we do that? What's the appropriate response? How do we call on His name? What must we do? And Peter then replies in verse 38, That with many other words, Peter began to exhort them to be saved. Be saved. He proclaimed a message of salvation, calling on the name of the Lord. So Peter tells us very clearly in this passage, especially in verse 38 and in verse 39, about this promise of salvation. And he tells us how we are to call on the name of the Lord. He tells us what is required of us if we are going to call on the name of the Lord, if we're going to truly be convinced and believe in Jesus as the crucified Messiah, as our Lord, who is reigning as our King. He tells us what's required of us. And he tells us first, you have to repent of your sins. The people, they had begun to already realize their guilty condition. In verse 37, when it says that they were pierced in their heart, they had an emotional response there to the Gospel and to the preaching of this message of Jesus. They were beginning to realize that they, that very, some of the people in that very crowd just 50 days earlier, they had been saying, crucify Him, crucify Him. They had been ready to kill Him. They had rejected Him. They had not believed in Him. They had rejected God's Son and their King. They crucified and murdered Him. They were beginning to realize and to fathom their sin, their guilt, and the despair that came along with it. If you have ever sinned, then you have probably had that moment where you have that emotional response where you realize this is wrong. And what I've done is terrible in the sight of God. And you feel the tremendous guilt and the despair of your situation. And you begin to wonder, what do I do? And their guilty conscience and their godly sorrow worked together to make them realize that they needed to be saved. They needed to call on the name of the Lord, but how were they going to do that? Peter tells them if they first would repent, then they could be saved. They could have their sins forgiven. 
But here they had that emotional response, but repentance is deeper than just an emotional response. In the book of 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There are two types of sorrow that he talks about. There's a godly sorrow, a sorrow that recognizes that it's convinced and convicted by the sin that they have committed, that I have done something wrong in the sight of God, and that I need forgiveness, I need to change. And I need to do something different. There is that kind of sorrow. But then there's a sorrow according to the world. A grief that is just overcome with the guilt, but that seems to be paralyzed, that doesn't do anything. That seems to just remain in the state of perpetual sorrow, but that does not produce any true repentance or change. Their repentance was going to be transformational. They were going to have to accept and believe in the one that they had rejected and put to death. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus taught about the importance of repentance. In Luke chapter 13 and in verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He repeats that. Same sentiment, the same words in verse 5. People who refuse to repent and turn from their sin, there is eternal consequences. There's eternal damnation in hell. Repentance is extremely important. There is not one person here who does not or will not have to repent. The book of Romans in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3 and in verse 10, the Apostle Paul, he says, there is none righteous, no, not even one. In verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those words are strong words. And that they lead us to the conclusion that all of us have sinned. All of us are needing to listen to these words. The words of salvation, they apply to everybody. Because we have all been in the same situation. No, maybe weren't there 2,000 years ago crucifying Jesus or demanding that He be crucified. But we have sinned. And we need to change. Everyone who has sinned is unrighteous and is guilty of breaking God's commandments. Everyone needs to repent. There is not one person who is a Christian that has not had to repent of some sin that they have committed. In the book of Acts, we learn in Acts chapter 17 and 
in verses 30 and 31 that repentance is something that God demands of us. And that He requires everyone in, to repent. In Acts chapter 17 and in verse 30, the Apostle Paul was preaching and he says in verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because, why should we repent? Because He has fixed the day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Why do we need to repent? Because there is a day in which we will give an account for our sins, for how we have lived, for the choices that we have made, for the things that we have done, whether right or wrong, we will give an account. We will stand before the judge. That's the reality. And we need to be prepared. The way that we are prepared for that is through repentance. We need to change. And that means that we need to quit sinning. We need to turn from our sins. That's what the word repentance means. It means a turning around. It's an about face. It's a 180 degree turn. That we are going to turn from the things that we have been engaged in, the things that we have done that's wrong, whether it be lying or lusting or drunkenness or cursing or hatred for others. That we're going to turn from those things. Maybe it's that we were involved in an unscriptural divorce. We need to turn from sin. We need to quit our sinning. That's what the gospel is for. It gives us hope. It gives us life. It gives us a new lease that we can walk in newness of life. But that means that we have to put away the old person of sin. And part of repentance is not just stopping and engaging in sinful activities. We then have to begin to do what's right. We have to try in our best attempts to make restoration and restitution. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 19 and in verse 8, when Jesus was having a discussion with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and tax collectors who were Jewish people, and yet they had begun to side with Rome, and they were working for the Roman Empire. And oftentimes, tax collectors were notorious for cheating people, increasing the tax rate so that they could skim off the top. They were notorious for that. And Zacchaeus might have been one of those who was guilty of that. And Zacchaeus, whenever he has this conversation with Jesus, he says in Luke chapter 19 and in verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. I love that attitude because I think that exemplifies what repentance is going to re require. That it's going to be an extreme change. We're going to have to quit sinning and then we have to try to make things right as best as we can. 
the people there in Acts chapter 2, when they heard that they had rejected Jesus, now it's not going to be that we, well, okay, we won't reject Him again. They have to now believe in Him. They're going to have to confess their faith in Him. They're going to have to accept Him as their King. That was going to be a drastic change for them. As Peter said, repent. He issued that command to those people. But then he tells them, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's interesting, in the Greek text, the word for baptism there, it's in the passive voice. Oftentimes in, in the Greek language, there is an active or a passive voice that's associated with verbs. And this is a passive verb. And I don't want to get into too much grammar here. You know, that might lull you to sleep. But what is interesting is that I think there's a really important lesson for us to learn here about baptism is that baptism is a passive act that we do. Many times people, they say, well, baptism isn't required because that's a work because you're trying to earn your salvation or something. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. Because baptism, it is the time in which we are coming to God and asking for Him to save us. The Greek text and the fact that it is in the passive voice, yes, it is a command. But it is something that we are saying, God, we want You to work on us. The Apostle Paul would say about baptism in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Whenever we submit to baptism, we are saying, God, we want You to save us. We're not trying in any way to say, well, this is going to somehow save me from my sins because I'm getting in a pool of water. We are saying, God, this is when we trust You and that we are accepting You and we are openly coming to You and allowing You to forgive us and change us. Baptism is a time when we rid ourselves of self-dependence and completely trust in God to save us completely from the devastation and the ruin of our sin. Baptism is all about submitting to what God has said and allowing Him and letting Him save us. That's why baptism is so important. The word baptism, it means literally an immersion. It's not just sprinkling or pouring, but it is an immersion in water. As we see further in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter was preaching to Cornelius, he says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? 
that Peter is abundantly clear that sinners who believe in Jesus are to be baptized and immersed in water. Further, baptism is in the name of the Lord Jesus and is in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember that Peter has been talking about who the Lord is and he proclaimed in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36 that this Jesus, the one that you crucified, He is now Lord and Christ. And so he tells them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That implies that they have faith that Jesus is their Lord. That they are coming to accept, they're putting all the pieces together. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, as Peter saying, that you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so now they are coming to the point of recognition and faith and understanding that Jesus is our Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ is an appeal to Jesus' authority to forgive sins. An important lesson that we see in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 2. Jesus, as He was performing some miracles, He asked, you know, which is easier? To say, I, I forgive you of your sins or to perform this miracle? He performs a miracle to prove that He has the authority to forgive sins. And in Mark chapter 2 and verse 10, He says, "...but so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home." Whenever we come to the waters of baptism, and when we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we recognize Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. That He is our Savior. And baptism puts us into Christ. In the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That you are in Christ and you are clothed with Christ. And that occurs when we are baptized in water. Further, Peter tells us that baptism has a purpose. He tells us that it is for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not because you've already had your sins forgiven. Baptism isn't an outward sign of an inward grace that you've already received. He tells us the purpose of baptism. That word for, that baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's the exact phrase used and the exact phraseology Jesus uses when He was instituting the Lord's Supper with His disciples. In Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 28, Jesus told the disciples when He was talking about the, the blood and the cup, He says, For this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. That doesn't mean that Jesus had already died, does it? He's saying this is the purpose. That 
you partake of this cup and you remember my blood because I am going to die for you. For designates purpose. It's the same exact phrase in Acts chapter 2, in verse 38. That Peter says that whenever you repent and you're baptized, it is for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus shed His blood so people's sins could be forgiven. Immersion in water is for the purpose that people's sins can be washed away. And so what we begin to see that Peter is bringing all these threads together, that faith in Jesus as our Savior is evident when we come to the water to be immersed. Now, we're not trying to save ourselves. We're not trying to boast in ourselves. We are allowing God to save us. We're allowing God's grace to forgive us. We recognize Jesus' authority to forgive us of our sins. We are removing self out of the equation and we are recognizing Jesus is the Savior. We are then added to the Lord's church and we understand that baptism plays an integral part in God's plan. He commands it. And it is a condition we must meet to be forgiven of our sins. Baptism is an extremely important part of what Peter said that day. When the, Peter, when the people asked, what shall we do? Peter told them to repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so after you repent, after you are baptized and immersed in water, you can enjoy that forgiveness. I love the glimpses in the book of Acts. After you see people who responded to the Gospel, when they heard the message of Jesus, and you begin to see their change, their attitude, their perspective. In Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 41, so then those who had received His Word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And it goes on talking about how the people, they believed and they had all things in common. You see their life after this. You see the joy that came about after they had their sins forgiven. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, in Acts the 8th chapter, after Philip is preaching Jesus to the eunuch of Ethiopia, in Acts chapter 8 and in verse 38, it says that he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. When we have the forgiveness of sins after we have been baptized and we've had our sins washed away, we have a reason to rejoice and to be glad. Because we have received the forgiveness of sins, we are no longer 
held against us. That sin is no longer held against us. We no longer have that guilt on our shoulders. It has been released. That burden has been removed and taken away. In Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16 and in verse 33 and 34, whenever Paul and Silas, they had been imprisoned and they convert the jailer, it says in verse 33, And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And what happens after that? Verse 34, And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. And after these people are baptized, after they recognize this commitment that they are making, they have a reason to rejoice and to be glad. Because they have new life. have that new lease on life. Their sins are forgiven. They are a clean slate, ready to be molded and shaped in service to God. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about immersion. In Romans chapter 6 and in verse 3, Paul says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It begs the question, when do we receive that new life? It's when we are baptized and we have joined ourselves with Christ in His death and His resurrection to the waters of baptism. When we go to the, to the waters of baptism, we are burying the old person of sin and we are raised to walk in newness of life. We have a reason to rejoice and to enjoy the cleansing, the renewal, because we are alive and we want to rejoice. Such an amazing feeling to have that kind of joy. And then you need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We could probably preach whole sermons or have whole series of sermons on what the gift of the Spirit is. I think suffice it to say, in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 38, what we learn is that the Holy Spirit is the giver of the promise. In verse 39, He says, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. That the Holy Spirit is the one who is giving the gift of salvation. That He is the one who is giving what has been promised. And it's a universal gift that is given to everyone who responds and meets the conditions. Repent and be baptized. Each person receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. I want you to see how Peter has tied all of this together. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 21, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And then our clicker will go. There we go. He tells us in verse 38, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see what Peter has done here in this sermon. He has told them that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In verse 39, he talks about that promise of salvation and how it's for you and your children and for all who are far off. That it's for those who are there, those Jews who are listening to Him, it would be for that next and the perpetual generations that would follow. And for Gentiles, those who are far off. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord for salvation? It's available to you. It's available to you today. He says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, how do we call on the name of the Lord? What must we do? Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he also tells us that, that verse 21, that you will be saved, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the promise. That's the promise that God has made. That for those who will respond in obedience to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who will call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven. What a wonderful message of hope and salvation it's, yes, the basis of where we continue to grow and progress even after we are much more, uh, much more mature in our faith and our development. But this is the foundation. We need to respect that and appreciate that. And whenever the pe people asked, what must we do? Peter answered. He urged the people to be saved from their sins by repenting and being baptized in water so their sins could be washed away. He says that he continued to exhort them to be saved from this perverse generation. You think about all the wickedness in this world. All the sin, all the ungodliness, all the immorality that is around. We don't want to be like the world. We want to be different. But the world has a fate. And if they don't repent, then they will perish. Be saved. Be saved. Do not join the crowd. Do not join in with this wicked and perverse generation. Because after you are baptized, you can have the forgiveness of your sins and you can leave here rejoicing, walking in newness of life because you are part of God's family, you are part of the Lord's church, and you have the promise of salvation.
If you have never responded in obedience to the gospel, if you have never called on the name of the Lord and that you are still in your sins, if you have never repented, if you have never been immersed in water, do not leave here today before making that commitment, before coming before God and submitting to Him and asking for Him to forgive you. He is willing, He is gracious, and He is ready. And He's calling you through the preaching of the Gospel, through His Word. He wants you to come and respond to Him, calling His name. And after you would do that, you can leave here rejoicing knowing that your sins are forgiven. Knowing that you have received God's promise of salvation. Maybe it is that you have already made that commitment to following Jesus Christ and that you have had your sins washed away, but you've not been living faithfully for Him. You've allowed sin to come back into your life and you've made compromises in your service to the Lord. Will you not come back to God? Come back before it's eternally too late. You can come back, repent of your sins, confess the things that you've done which are wrong, and we will pray with you and pray for you that God might forgive you. If we can help you in some way this morning, let us know as we stand and as we sing.